It just started raining. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition, and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. I sat in a fucking garage with Wozniak and invented the future because artists lead and hacks ask for a show of hands. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook. You're to end me, aren't you? You're being ridiculous. I'm gonna sit center court and watch you do it yourself. Then I'm gonna order a nice meal with a 55 Margot and sign some autographs. Jesus Christ. You want some advice, Pepsi Generation? Don't send Waz out to slap me around the press. Anybody else, you, Markla, Arthur Rock, anyone but Rain Man. Don't manipulate him like that. Whatever you may think, I'm always gonna protect him. Come on, Steve. That's what men do. You can't start late. Hello and welcome. I'm Bankole Mokwede and I'm joined by Obiara Georgia Facher, aka Jibs, aka the Young Hitter, <laughs> aka the Big Man. <laughs> and this is the Popcorn for Dinner podcast, an episode dedicated entirely to my favorite screenwriter, the great Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin is the screenwriter behind. Some very classic lines and classic films like A Few Good Men, The Social Network, Moneyball, Steve Jobs. He recently became a director. His director debut was in 2017 with uh, Molly's Game, starring Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba. And 2020's The Trial of Chicago 7. He also created and wrote The West Wing and also The Newsroom with Jeff Daniels. Obira, it's Sorkin. It's a Sorkin episode. This week, it's kind of like an unofficial social network week. Like... Um, on Monday, we released the Fincher episode, which is, again, my favorite director, director Same. of Social Network. And then today, we're releasing the um, Sorkin episode. Just like, any reason to talk about the Social Network. Let's... Any reason. Any reason to talk about Social Network. Like, I will get into it. We'll get into Social Network. Don't worry. Anyone that came here for Social Network, you will not be disappointed. When is it just Timberlake podcast, then? <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, Aaron, like I said, Aaron Sorkin is my favorite screenwriter right now. Um, I don't know, you're, I think you're a bit more cold on him, are you? Not, not as, I do like him, I do appreciate him as, you know, as a master of his craft and what he's trying to do and how he kind of goes about it. I do like him, probably as not as much as you in that sense. He does like the art of conversations. He, mm. I mean, I was listening to an interview on him and he just said that, you know, when he was young, he... Back in the day, he just used to listen to conversations. He didn't really have any idea what they were talking about, but he just appreciated the art of people talking to each other. He's definitely been one of the you know prime screenwriters in Hollywood, and just his general interest and his appreciation for the art of dialogue and you know fast-paced speeches and conversations in the sense have been really influential over the past. 30 35 years yeah like anyone who once you get to know what a soaking script is you always know what a soaking script is his dialogue is always fast-paced he 
comprises like five pages worth of dialogue in three pages because actors are always speaking very quickly. Yeah, they call it like the walk and talk, don't they? Yeah, the walk and talk. You have the sulkinism. So um, he's someone that I definitely over the few. Like I was watching his stuff, and then the mind watch. I was like, oh, this is this is someone that like people have been trying to copy for a long time and just haven't done it. Like yeah, everyone, not everyone, but people try to do a sulking script, and when you and a sulking script that is not with sulking is is not good. Okay, so we're gonna go straight into sulking, but I feel bad. I feel cool. like why do you feel bad? Because it's sulking, right? I love sulking. I feel like we just went straight into the episode. Obiora, how are you? How was your week? Been? <laughs> let me let me check in on you just before we get into my own interests. Not good. Not been what a good happened? week. Oh, oh no, what happened? So um for one of these nights I was down bad, right? So I was on Instagram <laughs> and I DM'd Georgia Smith and she did not respond to me, so is that why you feel bad? It's a terrible week, man. What, what, what did you think? What do you? Th- what was your best case scenario if George Smith replied to you? If she, you know, actually, let me not let me not go on before I get myself into trouble. <laughs> so Obiora is not in a good place because his hail yeah. mary shot at George Smith did not work. Um, well, <laughs> okay, I don't know if I can. I if I can top that. Oh, one more thing. Um, so anyone who is interested there's this app i don't know if people know about it. it's like a social media app for people that like film and watch film it's called letterboxd so it's a letter then it's an B-O-X. ad it's an ad no no it's... <laughs> so when you start getting that ad money <laughs> <laughs> no i was gonna tell them to follow us <laughs> i was like is this an ad what where's this coming from uh, why did you tell me it's like where, where, where's my check um Okay. <laughs> okay. Um so before <laughs> I was gonna tell you to follow us there, but it doesn't matter, there's no point anymore. <laughs> so okay. wait, wait, wait. Um, follow us on letterbox. I think that's what you're trying to say. I'll edit this part out. Um no, so okay. Um for anyone interested, there's there's this app called Letterboxd. So it's letter then B O X D xd all in one word and it's like a social media app for people that like film and you can it has it's a comprehensive list of films so you can log all the films you've watched you can rate and review them but also like it just has list of films list of upcoming films films are grouped according to genre or according to similar actors and similar interests. so if you're looking for a film one day to watch on a friday night you can just go on letterboxd and look for it um follow myself you can follow myself there you can follow obi right there um and just see what we're watching and talks with us and everything this is not an ad this is i am not we are not making that ad money yet it's just a social media platform that i think is quite nice and if you want to jump on it um i think i've i've been able to pull off this charade of caring about obiara's week now let's get into talking <laughs> let's talk about talking and we're gonna go the deep dive into erin talking immediately after this break and we're back. So, Obia, you asked me this question earlier in the week about the Fincher pod. Or rather, on the Fincher pod. Yeah. And I wanted to just preempt you before you asked me again. Um, so, what are your top three soaking stuff? What's the top three? Things that he's been, been involved with. Yeah. My top three would be A Few Good Men, Moneyball, and Social Network Men Are Born. Oh, Moneyball. That's yeah. very interesting. That's, I mean, that's that's a good... Let's talk about Moneyball. You're talking about Moneyball for a bit. Why do you like Moneyball so much? 
I feel like what he tried to, I mean, obviously he took a few liberties and I think that's probably something that we probably will get to the social network on how important is, you know, factual, mm-hmm. the facts in storytelling or, yeah. you know, trying to tell a real story. But anyway, I felt like what they tried to do in terms of, you know, simplifying the baseball symmetrics movement and how there was this big divide between the old traditionalists and the new you know, Yale, Harvard, you know, grad geeks who are trying to bring something to the game and just how the disconnect and the conflict between that was being able to, you know, make into a movie, basically. And just how how that came together. Also, Brad Pitt was... I I was going to say, underrated Brad Pitt performance. Underrated, should have won the fucking Oscar for that. That's probably like one of his, probably like my favourite Brad Pitt performance, I'd say. Oh wow, that's that's a big statement. Ahead of Once Upon a Time, yeah. Ahead of like Seven and Fight Club, yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, Fight Club. I'm. I think I'm a bit. Fight Club is a good movie. I'm just a bit lukewarm on Fight Club. I think what he, I mean, he, he played the part well, but I think what he's doing in this is should have won the Oscar. Um, a very good, a very good Jonah Hill, a very good Jonah Hill performance. Yeah, wasn't that like his first performance where he went from like Jonah Hill? Serious. Yeah, yeah. From, like Jonah Hill, the comedy clown fat guy. To, and I think he did back to back. Wasn't he back to back? Wasn't he Moneyball and then Wolf of Wall Street? Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. And then I think Django in between, like he needed to come in Django. That was the period where I really like, <laughs> I was on board the Jonah Hill train. I was like, yeah, Jonah. I'm guessing you don't have Moneyball in your top three, do you? I don't have Moneyball in my top three, but that's mainly because I haven't rewatched it in a long time. So I haven't rewatched Moneyball. I haven't rewatched Steve Jobs. And I think if I rewatch Moneyball in particular, I think it could it could sneak into my top three. But <laughs> You're not a baseball third, fan. Well, I'm not a baseball fan, but like Dodgers. They won the World Series, you know. Okay, if you say so. Um <laughs> I honestly think baseball fans are only I don't know say anything. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> um no. But the thing about Sorkin is that he can he did it with Moneyball. He did it with poker in Molly's game. Like, he can make me understand things that I have no, literally no understanding about. The same thing that the McKay did with Big Short. Even if it's just for those two hours, I can understand what you're talking about. Um, so, yeah, no, Moneyball is in my top three. <laughs> my third is something that I'm going to fight. We're going we're gonna to have a debate because I know you hate it. My third is Newsroom. James Daniels, the Can't newsroom. believe it. Can't believe Better it. Better believe it, man. Better believe it. The Newsroom. Woo! <laughs> What a show. What a show. I'm very annoyed because I wanted Ayo to come and join me in the defense of, 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 of Newsroom. That show is so flawed. I can't believe I can't believe some, some oh. scenes were actually greenlit. Oh, it's flawed. Newsroom <laughs> is flawed. I'm not even... It, it was... Like, it, they went as flawed when I watched it the first time. They were so flawed when I rewatched them in yeah. like 2019, 2020. Flawed incredibly, but I love it, man. And this is the thing about soaking. I think when you're all in on soaking, we'll talk about it as we go on. Yeah. When you're all in on soaking, you just have blinders, man. Because you're willing <laughs> to forgive some of these things because very quickly something incredible is coming up. Like, because the dialogue is so quick that you forgive that one cringe scene because immediately another incredible scene comes up, right? And it's it's cringy. It's... Look, some people have look, I know the scene you're talking about. People have seen the, the 9-11 scene on oh the on, yeah. on, on, on the plane. It was going viral on Twitter. It's a terrible scene. When I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, this is incredible. I was like, oh, I'm in my feels. Same, same. 
Yeah. You see, so so you, exactly. You kind of there's no why you get retroactive. First Don't time get a retroactive ban. First time I watched the first time I watched it, I was like, this is like this is the greatest scene of all time. Exactly. I'm like, I'm and like, I then I watched. I was like, what is going on here? So, but that's what are we say, doing? That's the newsroom. They are, like I've watched the newsroom. I've enjoyed. I enjoy season two of the newsroom immensely. Immensely, mm-hmm. like it's incredible. Like the dialogue. Jeff Daniels is doing. Jeff Daniels is incredible. Olivia Munn is good. Like, Alison Peel is good. Dev Patel is good. They're all good. But, like, it has flaws. It has a lot of flaws. A lot of things are bad. Sulking, like he usually does. I'll talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about it on good social network. But as he usually does, he treats his female characters quite badly. Sulking, like, yeah, on, on the West Wing, he has good female characters. But it seems like in most of his movies, he just doesn't handle the female characters. And I'm not perfectly or just not, not good enough. Um, so no. as, as, a, as a sulking problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but like, but newsroom is my third. Then, a few good men is my second. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, um, I, anyone, every, I think everyone, I feel like everyone knows the you can't handle the truth uh, line and scene, and that's like that's one of the most iconic lines of oh, God knows past thirty years. Um, I like a few good men. Really good Tom Cruise. Really good Tom Cruise. Really, really good Tom Cruise. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think this was. This was Towards the end of him, like, being and like, before he started becoming, like, a... Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, an action movie star. Was, you know, jumping on planes and stuff. Exactly. This was towards... This is, like, 1992, I think. So, I think first Mission yeah. Impossible was, like, 96. So, yeah. and I remember, I think the first time I watched A Few Good Men, I then I also watched, like, very close, I watched Jerry Maguire. So, I was like, oh, wait, Tom Cruise used to act in dramas? Can actually act? Like, what? like Tom Cruise can actually act like yeah, and it's like I don't know if he, I'm intrigued because little side, but I'm intrigued at what happens after the next two Mission Impossible. I think the next two are the last two because let's be honest, he's Tom Cruise, but he's still getting old, and he has one one more Top Gun. What does Tom Cruise do next? Like, does he does he go back to acting in dramas? Let me tell you what he does next. This is a perfect question. He makes Eyes Wide Shut Part Two. That's what he does next because. <laughs> If that comes out, if that comes out, I'll be the first person to take it. <laughs> but there's no Stanley Kubrick to you. Maybe Fincher will direct it. God, maybe Fincher will direct it. Maybe Tom Cruise will direct it, man. Oh. Let's, let's I actually want to see what a Tom Cruise action film looks like. Well, that's, that's I mean, he's he's like the exec producer for, for Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible anyway, I would like see. to see him direct. Like, because I feel like he has a good sense of action. I want to see. problem with him directing is that if an actor is like, oh, I don't want to do that stunt. Tom Cruise would do this stunt. Like, what, what do you mean you don't want to do this stunt? Like, anyway. Um, yeah, so very good Tom Cruise. Incredible for the limited screen time he has, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um, a lot of the big part players are quite good. Um, Kevin yeah, Bacon. I like, yeah, I really like Kevin Bacon. I don't know why. I really thought his like performance was... I was like, wow, Kevin Bacon, young Kevin Bacon, just fucking shit up in every scene he's at. I really liked his poem. I really liked Demi Moore as well. I liked her in that. I liked, there's another movie, Margin Call, which is oh, really yeah. good as well. I think Funny she was, movie. I think she was, yeah, quite good with, you know, her script and what she was working with. Quite good Kevin Pollock as well. Yeah. <laughs> it was Sorkin's first film. It was based on his first play. Yeah. It's interesting. It's fun. It has good courtroom scenes. Yeah, it's it's courtroom drama, which is I mean, courtrooms. You're you're a you're a lawyer, aren't you? It's all talk, mm. talk, talk, talk. Which is <laughs> I have a law degree. I'm not a lawyer. Two different things. <laughs> well, I'm just giving you the title of a lawyer, but um, and it's you know it's a lot of a lot of talking, and even you know if even if you're not in the courtroom when preparing for a case, there's a lot more talking 
within the preparation. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's just, that's just Sorkin's, um, you know, that's kind of like his home field advantage. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. If if Fincher is serial killers, then then Sorkin is called through. <laughs> yeah, and I think he he likes he likes the way lawyers talk or the way he imagines lawyers talk. Yeah, like even even Molly's game, which is a film I like, but also has his own flaws. Like one of the best writing goes to Idris Elba's character, who is the lawyer. He was a lawyer in a, as well, wasn't he? In a lot of the courtroom, yeah. So like, he he likes. I think he likes writing, and he said, I, "As if, look, as if the gods made it for me." There's an interview between um, that came out recently, a couple of weeks ago, between Finch and Sorkin. Sorkin, yeah. In which Sorkin is interviewing Finch, and Finch goes about how, like, obviously, Finch um, Sorkin was like, "Are you going to direct another serial killer film?" And I saw him was like, look, if I spend the rest of my life doing courtroom dramas, I will be okay. Because, like, again, it's his bag. He knows what, he, knows what yeah. he wants to do. Um, it's like me and drinking, isn't it? Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't your mother listen to this podcast? Yeah, she does. I need so much, though. So. Okay, well, good luck with that. Struggling. Um, yeah, so a few good men, man. Look, everyone go watch it. Jack Nicholson is in four scenes and he's incredible in all of them. Tom Cruise is really good and I think if you've never seen Tom Cruise act in a drama, you might be quite surprised. Yeah. Hopefully, if your first thought, if your first thought of Tom Cruise is like you know this guy who was jumping on Oprah's sofa and um, you know does weird stunts for Mission Impossible and is also a weird person as well with this whole Scientology thing, then I mean you're probably right about all of that. But yes. <laughs> Before, like, you know, we all knew him as Tom Cruise, the action star, he was actually a really good actor. He had, like, some, some like, massive hits. So I get um, out to shouting courts as a lawyer. If we're going by every, every <laughs> movie ever made, then yes. I was, I was watching, I was like, why are they raising their voices? <laughs> yeah, I think that's another thing with Fincher, where he... Or Fincher or Sorkin. Sorkin, sorry, my bad. He builds up to... Hold it, hold it. We'll get to that. I feel like you're 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 stepping on your thoughts of of Trial of Chicago Seven. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll get into that. Um, yeah. Obira, frankly, I've I've listened to you speak, and I have to be honest, you haven't had a lot of my attention. <laughs> wow, you you have part of my attention. <laughs> you have the minimal amount. We're talking about both. Both our number ones, isn't it? Both our number one, the social network. After this break. <laughs> now, now, this movie was our number one for Fincher, both of us, I believe. It was yeah. our number one for Sorkin. It's the Social Network, twenty ten masterpiece. We're going to discuss social network in depth, and that might include some praise for a couple of the performers, Armie Hammer and Justin Timberlake. That is dedicated to their performance in this film and not anything about who they are as people. Um, so, Obira, talk to us about social network. Uh, social network, probably the best movies of the 2010s, I would say. Definitely my number one. Felt like everything that he tried to accomplish in that movie was executed perfectly. And I mean, everything just fell into place. You're having the right, you know, the right screenwriter and Sorkin combined with the right 
you know, director in Fincher with actors and actresses willing to immerse themselves in these roles and whether, you know, whether it's doing 60 takes of a particular scene, they were willing to do 60 takes and do another 60 takes to, you know, speak as quickly as possible to go through as many mm-hmm. pages as possible in a certain time frame to give us exactly what they gave us. And I mean, everything just came together, the editing, just something, you know, going from, going from a scene to the Rowan scene as well. And the whole cinematography of how things are shot, mm. everything came mm-hmm. together. The music, the music, the music was fucking incredible. And just plan. all these pieces, all these pieces all coming together and just set on the backdrop of this important phenomenon in our lifetime of social media and how how has this movie aged you know what do we think of how did we think of zuckerberg and facebook then mm-hmm. and how do we think of the power of facebook now and yeah. what facebook does in you know fucking influencing elections and determining fucking genocides and i don't know and i'm sure there is because i don't have an encyclopedic brain of movies i'm sure there are different examples but i don't know of any movie that has aged this incredibly right and not not because it's got better with time but it's aged depending on when you're watching it yeah. Watching this movie when it came out in 2010 is different watching it in 2014. Yep. So, my most recent rewatches were earlier in 2020 and earlier this year, preparing for this for this actually a couple of weeks ago, preparing for this podcast. And <laughs> a couple of things that have not aged well in the past few weeks, straight years, is executive producer Kevin Spacey, or starring Almi Hammer or Justin Timberlake. Those are some things that have not aged particularly well. But I remember this movie came out in 2010. And yeah. that was the point where we were, in the culture, we were celebrating and adulating billionaires and tech billionaires who were creating stuff, right? These mm-hmm. guys were, were special. We're like, oh, Zuckerberg. We knew of Zuckerberg, who was a celebrity. It was like this guy. Everybody was like, people were saying, oh, he dropped out, of, he dropped out of Harvard or whatever. Like, it was a big deal. All of them, yeah. All of them. Yeah, so you watch the movie and you're like, you're thinking, oh, well, like, this is just probably Hollywood just being, like, a dick. Probably didn't do these things. He's probably not this. He's probably just a normal kid. And Zuckerberg was, what, mid-20s when this movie came out? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so you're like, oh, he's just a kid. You're like, then obviously the, the end happens, and you're like, okay, that's, like, maybe the movie trying to be a bit lighter on him and not be as punishing, and you're like, Okay, well, but like this movie is a bit too harsh on Zuckerberg, and I mean, it's a good movie, entertaining, but it's a bit too harsh. But then, when you watch it in twenty twenty, after we know more about who Zuckerberg is as a person, we've kind of seen a caricature of who he is in public persona. We and then we've seen Facebook become this thing that, like you said, is controlling elections, controlling genocides, and everything. And then you're like, oh, this movie one knew everything was that was going to happen. Like, I don't know if it was Fincher or Sorkin or like maybe because obviously Sorkin is someone who has very strong feelings against social media and the internet. And Fincher is someone that his films are very nihilistic and kind of like dark. Yeah. So that pairing was very good to be like, 
look, this is not going to end well, right? And you go and you're like, oh, these guys, one, they didn't go far enough. Like, they weren't as harsh on Zuckerberg as they should have been. Like, you, you kind of, you go from thinking, oh, they were too harsh to be like, they, sh- they should have been harsher. And also, you, everything makes sense. A lot, a lot of things are like, look, like you said, we talk about like the soaking might, um, not everything might be fact, right? Some things might be either more, exactly. But you go like, you watch the film and you're like, I believe that the Zuckerberg that we've seen in in life, in real life, for the past 10 years, can do these things. I believe that Zuckerberg would, this Zuckerberg, this kind of alien and this kind of a bit cocky and egomaniac would go to meetings in like pajamas and flip-flops, right? I believe that he would be swayed by what... Um, because Zuckerberg in the last few years has shown us that he has a chip on the shoulder. He he operates with that chip on the shoulder. So I believe that he would be swayed by Justin Timberlake's Sean Parker saying mm-hmm. those things to him. Those things would probably be the kind of things that he wants to hear at 22, 23. Yeah. Um, yes and no. I think... I mean, we don't really know... I mean, we don't really know this guy. And I think this portrayal was quite... I mean... I think we're to- we're talking about facts and liberties. How important is it for you f- for a story to be, you know, extremely factual when it's trying to tell an account of, you know, some something that happened, you know, in real, real life events. Not very. Not very. So um, I don't want you to lie, but if it's if the logic is we believe this is the thing that can result in this thing that we know is fact. Mm-hmm. I'm okay to allow the journey as long as the destination is, is correct. Well, I mean, I think this story basically implies that this guy created Facebook because he wanted to... Because, like, some girl broke up with him and... Yeah, but that's the thing. I don't know. It might be me, but I don't think you should go and write a history paper on Facebook using that as your source. As in... I don't think you should go write that he wrote he made Facebook because of a girl, right? I think it works for the film, and if you talk about the yeah. film itself, I think it works. I don't think, I don't think films are they're not documentaries. Yeah, it's not the responsibility of the film to tell a hundred percent factual, you know, story of exactly what happened. It's the responsibility of the film to tell a story, mm-hmm. and whether that story, um, if that story is. Well, if the story is trying, that's this is kind of what I was trying to say. If the story is trying to tell an account of what happened, do you not feel it's looking for an element of factuality? Is that even a word? But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Basically, what you're trying to say is this is this is how Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook, and I'm trying to tell you an account of how Mark Zuckerberg created this massive, powerful platform that we use all throughout today. And, I mean, because it's, you know, exists in our, in the real time, in what we've, you know, in our everyday use, do you not feel that, you know, it's the responsibility of a director to be somewhat, to have some elements of the truth in the story? Because what you don't want to do is, I don't want to say mislead the public and, you know, tell them some, 
you know, of all the fake news in the world. And no, I, yeah, I don't think there's if if there should definitely be elements of the truth, right? Yeah. And if you think about it, some movies, uh, some movies say this is a true story. Some say inspired by a true story. Some say based on a true story, right? They are telling I don't you. This, I don't think this. I don't think this um, says any of those. Yes, exactly. I'm going to get to that. But yeah, my point is like usually when those films say those things, like it's not they didn't just put it out and then raffle pick which one they're going to say. Yeah, right. Each one's going to tell you how much of the truth there is in, in the story. Um, I think there should always if you're telling something that is meant to be, there should always be some trace of truth, definitely, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it, it's. I don't think it can ever be hundred percent true because then you're, you're making a documentary. It can be percent true, no, but. I don't want to, I don't want to put like a threshold on should it be at least seventy percent because that's all arbitrary anyway that kind of yeah mm-hmm. but um I mean he's using he's using real names and he's trying to yeah but do you do you do you think I mean again look what is it Zuckerberg why why not yeah Zuckerberg had the hot or not website didn't he yeah and then he created Facebook so like do you think in the story of social network that it's majority of it is is falsehoods. No, no, no. I'm for me. I know exactly what's you know what's real and what's bullshit. Mm-hmm. But it's just like I mean the the general public. They you know I think it's like the general public who could watch this movie would go after this movie thinking that Mark Zuckerberg, you know, created Facebook because of a girl. I mean, and... look. I don't want to. I don't want to sound flippant or rude, but like. They should be smarter. Like <laughs> the public use SNL impersonations as their interpretation of people, of political figures. Like it's a caricature, but people still use that as their impression of what those political figures are. Why are they doing that? Like you should be smarter than that. And I'm just, I'm like, I don't know how to explain. It. Like this, like you said, this movie doesn't say this is true. This movie doesn't say any of it. Like this movie will not tell yeah. you they're telling the story of Zuckerberg or how Facebook was created. If you asked Fincher or you asked Sorkin or you asked Eisenberg, they'll tell you. Telling a story about a kid creating yeah. something in university, right? It's there. There are truths in this. The surrounding, the framework might be a bit modeled at some places, but the center of it is true. Like, yeah, the, the creation of Facebook is true. The lawsuits are true, and I think mm-hmm. that's what. Okay, to put it to answer your question as best as I can, I think the most important things in the story should be true. Okay, but I mean that's that's another um question. I'm, on what's you know what's in what do we classify as important because i mean from reports and you know all these different things that you read on facebook and obviously we have to say that this book was you know the source material was gotten obviously majority of this material from the movie was gotten from ben meserick's novel yeah um well um, the accidental billionaires. So I mean, there's an element of like what's true in that book, anyway. But um, but I mean, from all reports, it kind of says that uh, what's his name? Was it Donny? Like one of the one of the co-founders, Dustin Moskovitz. There we go. Not Donny. My bad. Was one of was a lot more important in the creation of Facebook, and he's barely even mentioned in this story. But um, I mean, not to even not to drag out the conversation, but it's just I've always wondered about because I think we spoke about this as well in the 
when we're talking about the last dance on how important is I mean last dance is documentary or claims to be a documentary so you should be 100% true <laughs> well I think that was true a couple <laughs> of liberties taken that as well I guess you're trying to tell a story on exactly what happened or trying to tell your version of a story then I guess it's fine I think the falsehoods might be overemphasized. I don't know how to explain. If you're making a story about the press uncovering this big secret, and maybe you don't spotlight, focus about yeah. spotlight, for example, you don't focus about one of the journalists that was important. It doesn't change the fact that it doesn't change the the message of the story. That, I'm, I'm trying to explain. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like, like you can't make a film that is 100 percent life. Like, if just to use another random metaphor, but like I said, if you draw a straight line to a point. Right, I want the point you're getting to to be real, to be true. If I, I don't necessarily care about the road you took to get to that point, as long as it's not like you didn't just take the piss, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like you didn't say that like he had a dream and he woke up and he did, did create a Facebook. Like I don't yeah. like I don't really care about the journey or the road you took as long as the point you get to makes sense. Look, like I said. So you don't care about the truth? who <laughs> cares about the truth uh, but like I said about, about this is what I said about how social network has, has aged is that yes they might say they took some liberties in their portrayal of of Zuckerberg right but because this is what makes such a great film right the character is so consistent and makes so much sense that 10 years later we're like oh we can see this Zuckerberg doing those things mm-hmm Right, even if he didn't, even if he didn't, and that's the, thing, that's the thing. Even if he didn't do it, it's possible. That's kind of what this kind of films, that's kind of space it takes. You, you don't know what a character because you're not living with them. You don't know what they do, but like we, it is possible in line with how you've made. It's like it's when an actor, right, when an actor prepares for a character and they have all the lines and they, they know the character's backstory and stuff like that, and maybe they get a suggestion and then they're like, no, this character would not do that because it's just out of line. Yeah, right. Kind of to your point as well. The film paints him to be this, you know, petty, um, obsessive. Mm-hmm. That, that might be right. You know, misogynistic asshole. Do you, which do might you be true. Be... Which uh-huh. might be true. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't know. But you know, kind of. You know, the bigger question is: Can you get? Can you be? Can someone be so rich and so powerful without being, you know, ruthless? No. Obsessive. No, you can't. Petty, basically, about anything. You can't. That's my. That's a personal, personally held belief that you cannot. I don't think any billionaire can become a billionaire without, like, doing something like that. But that's the thing. Now here's the thing for anyone listening, right? Thought experiment. Go out. Go out and look at the things that. We know Zuckerberg has done in public. I don't mean things that you suggest or think, just things that we know he's either the way he's spoken at like Senate briefings or the way he's condescended, or even his some of his business dealings. I'm like, would Jesse Eisenberg's character from social network do this? <laughs> and I think more times than not, your answer would be like, yeah, he would do that. But look, we're way off points. <laughs> yeah, we're spending too much time discussing this. Like I you do imagine. Your magic. Yeah. My point is that I don't necessarily put like look, I think the more accurately you can get your film, the better. Right, but sometimes I don't yeah. I'm not fixating on it. I want I want the final point to be true. I don't want you to give me a lie in the final point, but I don't as long as the journey is entertaining. 
Well, what are your own opinions on um, truth and films and stuff like that? I think, uh, I think it's, um, I think it's all about intention. If you're aiming to tell, you know, a version of the truth, and I think it's the responsibility on yourself as a filmmaker to do, to, I think get the, I mean, like you said, the important bits right, and it's all a big question on exactly what exactly are the important you know, bits to actually get right. So do you think, for example, do you think the fact that he broke up and then that spurred him to go and make Facebook after insulting his girlfriend, does that affect your position on the film? No, definitely not. I think, um, like, from what we know, he made, he made the face, he made Facebook because he just, I mean, he liked, you know, programming and coding and stuff. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from, if you kind of take all these pieces together on, you know, the version of events of what happened, he had an idea with the Winklevosses or a similar sort of idea. And he just, you know, developed it on time or developed it before them. (laughs) And he told them, sorry, and he paid them off. Later on, they sued him. So, yeah. I don't know, man. Zuckerberg is a dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's talk about the film, the film itself. Yeah. So you mentioned this earlier in the episode, and I know it's a belief I hold, and I think it's a belief you also hold. Um, Social Network, best film of the 2010s? Si. Yes, that's yes in Spanish. You racist. <laughs> what? <laughs> um... Let's start with the actor. These guys are really good. And these guys were all quite young at this point in time. Like, this yeah. is 10 years ago. So, like, as in, I think Andrew Garfield would have been, like, what, 25? Um, Jesse Eisenberg should have won the Oscar. Right? Look. Um, so, this movie was rated for a bunch of Oscars. Best Picture, oh, Best Director, you're Best... You're about to trigger me now. You're about to trigger adapted, me. <laughs> Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor. You should have won all four. Honestly, he should have won all four. He only won Best Adapted Screenplay for Aaron Sorkin. He should have won Best Actor. He lost to, I believe, Colin Firth for The King's Speech. Best Director lost to Tom. Lost to Tom Hooper for King's Speech. Best Picture lost to King's Speech. I can't believe he lost Best Picture, man. Um, I think... Wasn't that one of... Um, that was one of... Um, what's that idiot? Um, Harvey Weinstein's like, final... Yeah, exactly. It was a Harvey Weinstein produced film, and Harvey Weinstein was notorious for being able to get these films to win Oscars and get nominations. And, and yeah, through, politics is way into order. Yeah, and through negotiations or bullying or whatever he did. So all the above. I think we can we can put this up to. It's not as severe as other crimes, but we can put it on the list of Harvey Weinstein's crimes, giving King's speech over over social network. I think Eisenberg should have won the Oscar. I think Adjugafo did not get nominated, which is which is just shocking. Um, yeah, all the actors are good. Max Minghella is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Ami Hammer, Justin Timberlake, like I said earlier, are quite good. Rooney Mara is very good in like the one and a half scenes she has. Um, yeah, Ami Hammer too was quite good because like, look, he was so good they made him do it twice. But um, and like I said, I, I think we said it in the Fincher. I've said we said it in the Fincher pod. Like, an underrated thing for him is that he can get good performances out of actors. You can just like, like yeah, like Andrew Garfield is giving a movie star performance in, in this film. 
had any of these guys been in any major roles before? No, they were all they were all quite young. This was no, this was this was the way like I think Eisenberg, people knew Eisenberg, but he was like in the indie circuit, he was quite young in the circuit and everything. Andrew Garfield, nobody knew him, Rene Mario, nobody Brenda Song mm-hmm. was coming from Disney Channel. Like Yeah, I think yeah. I think I could have done without her. I guess her I guess her character was important in Well, her character is she does very well. Her her character is important. But her character maybe stays one or two scenes too long, and that's the feature. That's the soaking thing. Like, yeah, we didn't need we didn't need that that fire on the bed. We didn't need that. Yeah, like I said, Andrew Garfield is giving a movie star performance. Like the scene during the Jewish, <laughs> the Jewish society is like Caribbean night. That's just movie star freedom, and it, it, it's really good. Um, and then look, the script is incredible. It's Aaron Sorkin. It's it's a thousand, <laughs> a thousand balls per minute. If you want to know why Aaron Sorkin is, like I said, a good writer, just read that script. He he puts a line and they don't respond to that line like until like six lines later. Fincher got Sorkin and when this script was, when everything was a go, he was like, okay, look, I want you to record. He got him in and they recorded every scene with a stopwatch regarding how Sorkin saw that script in his head. Mm-hmm. And obviously what was what led to how the actors able to get everything on time and everything. So it's, and then look, Fincher, Fincher is just, again, like I said, this is both, both of us, this is his best film. Um, the beginning, the intercut between the, them creating Facebook and the, the socials club was just, was incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just think that, that that's incredible. The last half hour of the film, honestly, is so heartbreaking. From the moment Peter Thiel enters the picture, it's just... That just cut into Eduardo. Just like Eduardo, oh my God. And Yeah, like, do you have anything else about... I have some questions, but do you have anything else about the film just like I have as I missed? Uh, I think, yeah, I said it before. Um, just how everything came together. Um, every Just how everything worked. Because you're combining Sorkin, who is a master of screenwriting mm-hmm. and who has a particular way of, you know, dialogue with fucking Mm -hmm. maniac and you know psychopath of a director who likes a certain you know certain things a certain way and who's willing to go multiple times multiple takes to get the scene right Mm -hmm. plus actors who are willing to engage and who are you know just putting themselves out there to do more and more to make the scene perfect everything it's. I mean, I know it sounds you know simple that like everything aligns together, but everything really came together. It's just few films where you know things all match up and things all line up together. But this one, it's yeah, and it made money. That's just that's very that's very rare. These kind of movies, with this kind of movies, come out in twenty twenty one. I guess they'll probably be on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah, because I don't think any studio would give anybody $45 million to make a movie like this. Um, so yeah, Social Network is, I think, it's the best one of the decade for the reasons we've said. It's such a great film. And, God, we haven't spoken about the score. Yeah. Adam Ross and Trent Reza, right now. It, it's, it's so good. The score is... Oh, the score at the beginning. Yeah, when it's just like... The score... The score... Was that when he was walking through the... Um, yeah, when he was walking through, through Harvard. Harvard. Yeah. And it's just, it's, just like, it's so good. We're about to, the score at, to watch a masterpiece. The score at one of my best scenes I'll talk about in a, in a second is also incredible. Mm-hmm. It kind of touched on the, I think you brought this up as well, just the, the 
uh, let me say the introduction of the online trolls and mm-hmm. the online abuse mm-hmm. and how that could you know how that's just just that online trolls mentality how he basically you know engaged and enabled that behavior i think there was a scene where he he was basically talking about uh rooney mara's character mm-hmm. and basically wrote on his blog about you know slandering her and talking all shit about her i think that yeah, that's the beginning yeah yeah just all that behavior definitely that this movie definitely showed you know i don't like a like an inception of well, no, that yeah. whole this movie day. was very prophet- prophetic in many even beyond just facebook it was prophetic in things like that prophetic in things like um billionaire billionaire culture and how ruthless someone like peter peter Thiel, who just came in and and, we, yeah, and then we find out who he becomes in like five six years um these days we'll have had to make like a spark or something give me your three best scenes from social network last two so the best well it's the top two either way is the beginning scene the breakup scene with um mm-hmm. Bruno Mara and Jesse Eisenberg. The second would be the mark when it was like walking. Uh, and how much Jalu shares? That's the top two. However, way you want to arrange them. So the directing in the mark is. Oh. And it's like how much, how much Jalu shares, and it's you know cutting between that scene and deposition, and it's just yeah. insane. This is like really good screen, and oh, it's so so good. Um, my third. Ooh. My third would be the, well, you know me, you know, I'm a coder and stuff. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Sure, wow. of course you are. I like. I I think the com- the competition. No, um, well, the coding where um Eduardo was writing the stuff on the. Oh, the beginning. The, the beginning. Is that is that this is that the right scene? And Mark at the beginning, yeah, yeah, that's when they're cross cutting between that and the finals club. Party. Yes, yes, that that was incredible, incredible. Because, yeah. like, as in as a director, you're you know, I think there are probably two things which are still um, we haven't gotten the right amount of the right the right way to film it yet. One is coding, and two is texting. Those two <laughs> is like just fucking call somebody. Rather than text, because texting always comes out wrong. Um, that's a good scene, but but do you know my so my top two are the ones you said, uh, Mark, mm-hmm. and also the breakup scene. The breakup scene is just just this incredible dialogue, man. Um, shots fired at BU as well, man. Jesus. Yeah, big 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 shots. Uh, my third my third best scene. Do you know what it is, man? The Henley Royal Regatta. He- How do you know the Henley <laughs> Royal Regatta? How did you know? I don't even know, man. I was just a massive oh, Bro, man, not one word was said in that scene. I'm, oh my god, Fincher! Fincher made you know who was winning, who was in charge. That was just ah, oh, the music, the music from Trent and Atticus in that scene. Major, that was major. That was really. Jesus, really please, major. anyone just just go and watch that scene, man. Actually, just go and watch it on YouTube. Just go and watch that scene. <laughs> Trent and Atticus, jeez, the music in that scene and the music. In the first dinner with Justin Timberlake. Oh. Oh. 
they won the Oscar for that, didn't they? Didn't, they won yeah, the they won the Oscar. It's just a great movie, and yeah, I think this is look. It's not some. We're not making some random, like, unpopular opinion. Like everyone's been saying it. Um, Tarantino said it. This is this is the best one of the decade, in our opinion. And yeah, social network. Now we're going to talk about Aaron Tolkien's latest film, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. See, we oui. let's go French. The Trial of the Chicago Seven. This is Aaron Sorkin's latest film. His second, the second film he's directed. He also wrote it. It's now on Netflix. It's um, about the trial of the Chicago Seven, who were an anti-Vietnam War, a group of anti-Vietnam War protesters. They were charged with conspiracy and crossing state lines by um, Richard Nixon's administration. Um, it stars Sasha Baron Cohen. Yaya Abdul-Mateen, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Eddie Redmayne, Michael Keaton, Frank Langella, Jeremy Strong from Succession. It took me a while to realize it was um, actually Jeremy Strong. You didn't know it was him? No. I, I, I knew I recognised that. I, I knew I recognised the accents. I was like, I know, definitely know that accent. But, I mean, I think, I think the whole facial hair was just like, who's this? Yeah. And, um... And John Carroll Lynch, who we're talking about last on the last episode in Zodiac, just delivering another performance that's just different really good, from from the Zodiac performance. Really good performance. Um, right out of the gate, I was going to say it before we get into any deeper conversation. I like this film. I I quite like this film. Um, I've watched it twice. It's it, like as someone, like I said before, as someone who is all in on soaking. I, it's not it's not his best work, but it's a really good it's a good film in my opinion. It's not without its flaws, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but it's it's a, I enjoy the film. I, I think it's something that and that's, I I think it's enjoyable. I think it's a film that's enjoyable because again it's it's an Aaron Sorkin courtroom drama. It's it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Um, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the film? My thoughts. My first thoughts were how shitty the Nixon and Johnson administrations were and just how pointless the whole Vietnam wars in general. But as a conversation for a different podcast, um really good movie. Uh I mean we're talking about earlier on about how he's really good with just courtroom scenes and um dialogue. You know, there's a lot of dialogue, there's a lot of <laughs> we're talking about this the other day with the Zodiac podcast and how at the end of the day, you know, movie making is all about how can you make two people talking to each other? How can you make that interesting? I love that as your as a trademark now. <laughs> you said it like four or five episodes. I love it. That's movies, isn't it? Just keep on saying it, man. Keep on At the same it. time, like, you know, I mean, the, the big production sets and scenes are fine and fine. They're incredible sometimes. But at the same time, it's two people talking to each other, and obviously it's a courtroom drama, isn't it? So they have there's this kind of pace. Like you just know, this is I'm in an Aaron Sorkin movie, and I think it's the second mm-hmm. directorial um, film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I've pro- yeah. I think this is probably his best. Um, 
Yeah, this is better than this is he's improved yeah, on the mistakes of the mistakes of mistakes of Molly game and stuff. There's still a couple of flaws on here, but I think um him trying to establish the whole you know anti-war sentiments you know at that time, especially with students and hippies, and also I mean I think Black Panther Party was really well done. I'd say Sorkin has made two films, right? And I think he's two for two for cold opens. Yeah. I think he's... I really like the cold open here. I really like the cold open in Molly's game. I think you watch those two cold opens and you know what, rightly or wrongly, you know what energy the film is going into. <laughs> this cold open is really good. The intercutting between the different groups of people. The montage, isn't it, between all, all of yeah. them? Yeah, that was... And it was kind of... Yeah, that was, that was really well done because they were all cutting in between mid-conversations and stuff. Yeah, so like 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 I said earlier, this so this movie happens is set in summer of nineteen sixty eight and I think nineteen sixty nine, early nineteen sixty nine. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the Vietnam War is like what 10, 15 years on. Yeah. So um, these guys were charged by the Nixon administration for a conspiracy to create a riot and everything. And yeah, this is all history; you can read it off. But we're just focus on the movie itself and. Sasha Baron Cohen portrays Abby Hoffman and Eddie Redmayne portrays Tom Hayden. They're like these two leaders in very different different approaches into how they should, how you should protest, for example, and how you can bring about change. And it's it's a very good contrast in, in both of them. I think I'm not really an Eddie Redmayne fan. Why not? I'm thinking, I think I've never actually watched anything he's been in. So, I'm not someone that's like, oh, Eddie Redmayne, great actor, whatever. But I think he's good in this film. I think it's a very understated performance. From what I know, there's a lot of performances that are quite showy. And, but this was very understated, and I think he, he did quite a good job. I think Sasha Baron Cohen is, is incredible. Yeah, it's a standout of the movie for him. For me. Yeah, definitely a standout, I think. Yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen is good as well. Um, he's, he's quite good in the film as Bobby Seale, the leader of the Black Panther Party. Um, Jeremy Strong from Succession, who most people know as Kendall from Succession, is quite is is quite funny and quite good in this film. He 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 makes some choices. I would say that he makes he makes some choices. Um, yeah. Well, like, look, the film is not really like I said, it's not really a plot that can be spoiled. You can spoil it by doing a quick Wikipedia search. Did I miss any, any performance that you want to highlight before I move on? Mark Rylance says. McRollins is McRollins is good. John John Carroll Lynch is also quite good. Yeah, it's it's a true ensemble piece in that everyone kind of like does that. The, the lawyer Frank Langella as the as the judge is quite good as well. Just some Gordon, Joseph Gordon Levitt is as is a, good as well. It's yeah. like even the Kelvin Harrison Jr. who plays Fred Hampton for like five minutes is 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 good. it's just a good a good ensemble piece. Everyone kind of does their job. Um. Okay, so. I don't necessarily want you to give me an answer because you might not have an answer on this. But let's discuss... If you do have an answer, that would be great. But let's discuss the whole Abby Hoffman-Thomas Hayden divide. What... And look, okay, a bit of backstory. Actually, I'll get back to that. Okay. So, a bit of backstory. I watched this film, I think, November... 2020 i don't know maybe november december i can't remember when it came out for the first time and look there's a whole discussion to be had about the timeliness of the movie 
it's it comes it came out in 2020 in a year marred by like riots and protests and things like that and i watched this i think in november or december 2020 and it's like it was literally on the heels of the entire protest in in lagos of them of the lucky massacre which and obviously early in the summer you had the george floyd protest and everything so what do you think of this film in relation to what it has to say about protesting or about how people can bring about change in light of the abby hoffman and thomas hayden debate oh expansive question um i think it's definitely it's definitely an interesting conversation to be had, you know, if for a particular cause and you've got two people or two powerful figures who are both looking for an aspect of change, which mm. might be similar, but they go about it in different ways or they might want a different shade of that, you know, change that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. How how can this coexist together how you know if these two people or if these two factions are seeking a different element of the same results does that would that hinder you know does that hinder um the change that they're looking for or the 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 road to the change they're looking for yeah because I think those two divides have been, and just to, for anyone who hasn't watched the film, Abby Hoffman is of the belief that you need radical change. You need to be up in their face. You need to mm-hmm. bring attention to things and burn things down for things to happen. While Thomas Hayden is of the belief of practical change. You need to win elections, basically. You need to do things that win elections, exactly. So, I don't think it's, it's not, that was, it was 1969. I think, 50 years later, it's still the same debates. Yeah. For years, people have been telling people on the left in America, for example, to do things slowly and oh, do whatever in this way. To go vote. That's the only way you can enforce Go vote, exactly. Or in Nigeria, people have, people were like, well, again, vote. Or we'll have forums or meetings or, or groups or whatever. And then 2020 came and people were like, Nah, fuck that. Fuck that, man. Yeah. So people went to the streets post George Floyd. People went to the streets post SARS, and it's like it was a time of like we're we're tired of looking for practical change. And like all things, right? Like 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 honestly, like everything else in this world, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Right, but I'm not. I'm the last person that should. I'm not going to give an opinion because I'm the last person that. Why not? That should. I should, no, no, I can have a discussion, but I'm not someone that should say this is the opinion or this is the correct thing because there are people that are much smarter than that that have thought about it much more deeply than I can yeah. ever do. But um, it, it's very interesting that 50 years later, people are having, having those discussions. And watching the film, I'm like, look, this thing was happening to probably mostly white people in Chicago in 1969, right? But it was still very striking and very similar to what was happening to Nigerians all over Nigeria in 2020. Um, one of my, there's a quote in the film and it's just, 
without I'm not, I don't need to give context. The quote is just literally is the Attorney General of America telling a lawyer that police don't start riots. Mm-hmm. That's just it. And it's like, we know that's not true. <laughs> like we lived through twenty twenty and we know that that's not true. If anyone didn't know before twenty twenty, we know now that in twenty twenty one that we know that police do stop riots, right? And it's it's very interesting to see the tactics that these guys were using in nineteen sixty nine and they are still using in twenty twenty. Right. And it's it, look, we could talk about how this film is the film for for now, because it speaks exactly to what's happening in twenty twenty. Or as some people have said, it's not the film for now because it doesn't it's not as sharp in its critique, right? It's a very it should be people want the film to be angrier, if that makes sense, and a bit less idealistic. I'll talk about that as we go on. But yeah, it's a film that as I worked there, I was like, oh wow. I remember watching that and I felt like this this film hits different in 2020. If this film came out in 2017, I'd be like, mm, that was a good historical piece. And Yeah, it kind of takes... It just takes a different meaning in, yeah. in, in 2020. 2020 with all the stuff that's... Um, I'm not... If we're talking about the film itself, I'm not entirely... Like we said, Sorkin has directed two films. And I'm not entirely sold on him as a director just yet. But... In both films, he's done some impressive things that made me sit up. I'm like, oh, okay. You do know, even if you're not there yet, you do know what you're doing. Like, in this film, we talk about the cold open, but also, like, the the sequence where the mob takes the hill, which is intercut with, like, real-life footage of the police beating the protesters in Chicago in 1968. Like, I think that's very effective. Yeah. It's... That was a good sequence. He, a lot of the editing is very fast paced, and I think that has to go with the dialogue. It's just, it's just really well done. Yeah, I'm a sucker for like anything, any montage se- sequence. I'm just like, I'm in. That's like one of my, especially when it's like well done. So, like the starts and when it's when you've got three different things and it's all trying to like, for example, that hill sequence when mm-hmm. cutting in between the hill, the action on the hill plus the courts, and I think yeah. that's um also intercut with um abby hoffman's and kind of doing stand up kind of doing stand up to to the crowd so i just any just anything well done like that was i, I think that's probably one of, that's probably what i really enjoyed the movie if they had given me like five six more scenes like that i won't explain and then obviously there's the there's the, there's the montage where they reveal all the undercover cops yeah yeah and you know, so you know where they revealed Daphne O'Connor? That's um, Caitlin Fitzgerald from Succession. It broke my heart, man. <laughs> it broke my heart. When, when they revealed that she was a cop, it broke my heart. Um, uh, I have, do you have any quotes that you, you liked from the film? Obviously, I've said my police don't start riots one. And... I remember quotes, um, no. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> Not really. <laughs> my, my best quote is, which I'm going to start saying a lot now in conversation, is you've posed that question in the form of a lie. Whenever someone does say something in a meeting, I was like, you've posed that question in the form of a lie. I think you just look at you like, what the fuck is this guy saying? Why won't Bobby Seale let anyone represent him? You've posed that question in the form of a lie. Huh? I was not, I suppose this is going to hurt me physically. Let's talk about, we said that this movie is a bit flawed. Let's talk about the flaws. Yeah. Um. Why did we need that scene between those two? So Hoffman and Rubin, and 
um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and his daughter's... Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. I think he's the biggest flaw in the film. I was, right. I was afraid to say <laughs> afraid to say that. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a good job because he's a good actor. Like, yeah, done. But I don't really... I don't really understand the presence of the character. Mm. Me too. I think it's obviously Sorkin trying to make... Because look, the, the judge, I understand the logic. The judge is is evil, yeah. is incompetent. But by all accounts, that's how the judge is in, was in real life. Like, that's not really like... Didn't they like suspend him or something? Or... Yeah, exactly. Like, so he was bad. So by all accounts, so I, I think Sorkin, if the lawyer was also... If, for example, JGL's boss was the, was the main lawyer, I guess you might think that the other side is too cut, initially evil. Yeah. So he's trying to humanize that side by having JGL's character be a bit more not as bad. I don't agree with it. I think just look, this is a good and bad. Just make the other side bad. Just making them feel bad. That's that's a good point that you bring up. And I think we should have actually touched on this um earlier on. I think Sorkin is there's no good and bad. Every single character is extremely complex and extremely flawed mm. and i think just with flawed characters i think he's really in you know fascinated with you know how flawed human beings are and he tries to incorporate all of this into the stories that he um that he writes mm-hmm. and i mean either like for example the steve jobs story mm-hmm. where you see steve jobs as a fucking monster and you know a maniac as well but at the same time he tries to humanize him with you know his family situation and his daughter as well especially the daughter obviously social network as well how he tries to present mark zuckerberg as a sort of flawed character as well he doesn't really say justin um jjl's character is evil but he's trying to say he's working He's like, oh, he's prosecuting he's not as, bad as the rest of them. Yeah, but but he's working, um, he's working for the evil side, but he's actually a good person within. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like something along those lines. Yeah, that's my point. Like, look, the movie says it. Abby Hoffman says, "I know you're a good guy," and Jerry Rubin says, "I don't believe you're a good guy." Like in the same scene, in that scene you're talking about in the park. So, um, did not like that scene at all. I don't, I don't, I didn't like the character. I don't think the character deserved to. When you have a character, when you have an actor like JGL, right, you're not gonna make the character the devil. You get what I'm saying? Like, JGL is a likable presence and someone that people already automatically want to like. So, if you're, you're gonna cast him, and the character can't be that bad. But I, I don't like, I don't like the direction he went with the character. I don't. Yeah. Um. So, what what are your thoughts on Oscar chances for Chicago Seven? Okay. So, okay. I think, I think it's gonna do. I think it's, I think best screenplay nomination is is almost definite. Really? Yeah, I think it's get a best picture nomination. It might get a best director nomination. It might because the way I'm looking, I can't think of a fifth person right now. It might sneak in as the fifth best director. Um. 
unless somebody, because right now it's looking like maybe Fincher, Chloe Zhao, Emerald Fennell, and Regina King for Best Director. So unless somebody else, maybe like Shaka King from Black from Judas, sneaks in, I think Sokin might just sneak in as the fifth fifth nomination. But we'll see. I think I think I think screenplay is set for him as a nomination at least. Set nomination, uh, okay. Yeah, I think Best Picture nomination set. Um, really. It will probably get like a score. Probably get like edit. It should get editing. Like let's be honest, it should get editing. Um, acting, acting is weird because I I don't really know. Like Sasha Baron Cohen, That's... I don't know. He'll probably could he go as a lead? Could no. he go as a lead and Jeremy Strong as a supporting? I think the only person acting wise who probably would be nominated is um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Well, we'll, I, I don't know. We'll see when it comes out. We'll see when the nominations come out on the fifteenth. Um, just before we leave, I just realized that we made the cardinal scene, man. We did not talk about our best quotes from social network. So, do you have any? Oh, going back. Just quickly, do you have any? Um, I, can, I can throw you some. If you if you guys are the creator of Facebook, you know, creator Facebook. That's, I think that's one of my best. That's yeah. If you had uh, that, that's that's quite good. Um, so I have one, and I think all of them are from from Zuckerberg. Um, I mentioned it earlier, you have part of my attention. You have the minimal amount. Oh. <laughs> I love that. Um, then this is Zuckerberg when he's in one of the depositions. He's, he goes, she just made a lot of that up. And the lawyer says she was under oath. Well, I guess that's the first time anyone has ever lied under oath. Someone's yeah, lied under oath. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's good. There was that one with Army Hammer where he was like, I'm 6'5 to 20 and there's two of me. <laughs> Um. Okay. What else do I have? Okay. Um. This is another one. This is after Zuckerberg just what do they call it? He they catch him for creating the website ranking girls, and it was and the the person that caught him goes, Mr. Zuckerberg, I'm in charge of security for all computers on the Harvard network, and I can assure you of its sophistication. In fact, it was that level of sophistication that led us to you in less than four hours. Four hours. Yes, sir. That would be impressive, except if you had known what you were looking for, you would have seen it written on my dorm room window. Oh, I really like that. Um, this fucking, the editing and stuff and dialogue was so good in this. Remember when they cut to Stanford and was that scene for um, Dakota Johnson? Oh, and just Timberley. And, and just Timberley. You know, she's the son of, um, she's the daughter of Don Johnson. Yeah, I'm in Griffiths, yeah. We've had this discussion. I did not know this. Anyway. Why did you think I sent you Melinda Griffith's Wikipedia page? Because you're a weirdo like me who just looks at movie trivia and like two in the morning. <laughs> we just send each other like the most random facts. Like. So what do you do? I'm an entrepreneur. You're unemployed. I wouldn't say that. What would you say? That I'm an entrepreneur. Well, then what was your latest preneur? Well, I founded an internet company that let folks download and share music for free. Kind of like Napster? Exactly, like Napster. What do you mean? I founded Napster. Sean Parker founded Napster. Nice to meet you. You're Sean Parker? Aha! You see, the shoe's on the other, uh... What? Table, which is turned. You are probably going to be a very successful computer person. You're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. It'll be because 
You're an asshole. Okay, this was an episode dedicated to my favorite screenwriter, Aaron Sorkin. Um, I hope those of you who stayed to the end enjoyed it. If you haven't, please go watch Trial of Chicago 7. I think it's a good film. There is nothing else. We have no other impact on this service, on this platform than to provide you guys movies to watch. I think it's a good entertaining film and good performances and good writing and quite good directing in some spots. Um, yeah, so I've been Bankole Mokwe there and my co-host has been the Bureau George Fatcher, aka the big I don't know, know. what I was going with that. Um, <laughs> shout out to as always our producers, Ebuka Namani, Chinedui Heji. Flakers, man. They're avoiding us. <laughs> shout out to every one of you that's still listening, that's been listening so far and sharing and telling us your your views and your points and everything. That's just been so great to us. Um yeah, look, we're going to talk about a bunch of films. We spoke about Mank earlier this week. We're going to talk about a few more films over the coming weeks ahead of the Oscars. And hopefully you guys can watch them and maybe get involved in the conversation as we go along. Hope you guys are staying safe and taking care of yourselves. And we will see you next week when our guest will be, as always, the incredible John Boyega. Hope you're You've posed that question in probably life. <laughs> I really was not expecting that. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did!